often. But every now and then, someone will say, the music was loud today. Well, today you can blame it on yourselves, because you were the ones who were making it loud. And that's a praise uh, to our Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get prepared to go to Him and His Word. Heavenly Father, let our minds be set on Calvary and uh, praise you for you are the Lord our God. And as we set our mind upon the cross, let us set our mind upon the resurrection as well. As we think about um, our goods and our kindred, uh, may we come away from this text and be prepared to let them go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study uh, right now through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've got, we're in chapter 6, and I'm going to have us read verses 19 through 34. So Matthew chapter 6, and I just ask that you follow along with me as I read 19 through 34. Hear the words of our Savior. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but... If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. On the Sermon on the Mount, where we have found ourselves since we, well, for quite a bit. We've uh, been here for a while, but uh, we'll continue to, to explore. What I want you to understand as we see this sermon, this is in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is putting forth a way of living in the world which is otherworldly. 
So if you want to kind of understand what is Jesus getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, he's putting forth a way of living in this present world, which is actually a way of living in the world to come. And in doing so, he's presenting for us a, an ethic, a, a virtue that it's defined by his kingdom. And he says, if you live according to the virtues of the kingdom, you will find true blessedness in this life and the life to come. And in so doing, then, he's enticing us. He's putting forth uh, the virtues of the kingdom, how this looks. How, how does a one whose heart is truly knit to the Father, how do they operate in this world as they have their heart knit to the world to come? That's what he's getting at. How does that look? And so he's enticing us, then, as he puts forth the virtues of his kingdom to set ourselves upon his loving and perfect rule, to give our hearts fully to him, to see him as truly better than anything this life has to offer. He says, come to me and taste and see that I am good, that my rule, my reign is an everlasting reign, and it is good. Well, last week we began to explore Jesus' instruction on earthly possessions. So if our hearts are knit to the world to come, how should we view the things that we have now? That's what he's getting at. How do these things at least play into our hearts and our longings for the heaven to come? And this subject of possessions actually dominates Jesus' teaching, at least percentage-wise. According to uh, Randy Alcorn, uh, he's got a little book on treasure principle, and uh, David Lewis Jr. is going to be teaching a class on biblical stewardship starting next Sunday uh, that will kind of be based on this book uh, and another one he wrote. But he says this about this topic of possessions in the Gospels. He says, 15% of everything Jesus said in the Gospels relates to this topic. Now, this might surprise you. That's more than Jesus' teaching on heaven and hell combined. And we're familiar with many of the things that Jesus has said. I, I had two that came to my mind as I was preparing. I think of the rich young ruler. This is, this is one who clearly loves the things of this world. And, and Jesus says to him, oh, you want to follow me? Okay. Go, sell all you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. He didn't like that answer. So he went away sad. But on the positive side, we're, we remember the, the widow's offering. As those, as Jesus is watching, are, are giving out of their abundance. And, and, and he looks at her and he says, she out of her poverty put in all that she had. Jesus' exhortation concerning possessions in verses 19 through 34 could be summed up this way. Make the kingdom of God your priority in life so that you will not be overcome with worry, but rather find your ultimate satisfaction and joy in Him. Let me say that again. Make the kingdom of God your priority in life, so that you will not be overcome with worry, but ultimately find your satisfaction and joy in Him. Now what's remarkable here. 
As he's talking about possessions, the things that we own, giving to the poor, seeking to build treasure in heaven, what is remarkable to us, and what I hope will be remarkable to you, is that Jesus doesn't lay out stipulations, does he? He doesn't tell you how much you can make, what car you can drive, what size house you can have, what brand of clothing you can wear, or even a percentage that you must live on. Jesus doesn't prescribe lists for us, and, 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 and that often drives us crazy. Just tell me what to do, right? Tell me how much to give. Tell me how, what I can buy, what I can't buy. Just, just give me the lists. And Jesus says, that's not how the kingdom works. Some of you are like, uh-oh, where's he going with this? Jesus doesn't prescribe lists for us to check off. He actually is calling for something far more radical. Because you could check off the box of, yep, I gave that percentage, and your heart can be far from him. Okay, I didn't get that size house. I don't wear that type of brand of clothing. I don't do this. I don't do that. And your heart can be far from him. In fact, I, I was given a book many years ago uh, from some sweet people. It always is that case. Hey, read this. We'd like our ladies to go through this. And, and I began to just flip through it, and it had all these lists of brands of, of things that, 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 that they shouldn't buy or, or certain makeup brands, or even it was a list of TV shows. And I could, before even looking at the copyright on the book, I could tell that this was written in the 90s because half the stuff wasn't even on television anymore. And nor were the products being even sold anymore. And, and this book, the error was that it thought righteousness looks like this list that we can create. And it doesn't stand the test of time. Oh, you can read that and say, well, I don't do those things. I must be good. Jesus doesn't operate like that. No, he, he goes for the juggernaut. He calls us to set our heart completely on him so that we'd see all our possessions as a stewardship. And that, how we use and see and, and, and make, yeah, how we use our possessions will show to the world who our master is. That's what he's getting at in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You can either serve God or you can serve money, but you can't do both. You can't do both. And he says, I'm calling you to live in such a way that the world would say, you clearly do not serve the things of this world. Well, that, that changes the game. That changes things. So in other words... You could be giving 10% of all that you make and still be as worldly as the next person. Oh, I did that. Now I can go have my fill. That's why Jesus nor the rest of the New Testament ever says anything about that. And we're going to see they all are building off Jesus' teaching about the heart. And it goes far beyond this. We think, oh, if we don't have lists, then no one will give. Jesus says, if I have their heart, they'll give everything they have. 
If I have their heart, I have everything. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I'm their treasure, well, then I have everything. I have everything. And that will dictate how we give. And we'll see that. He zeroes in on our hearts. He doesn't primarily focus on the externals, but that doesn't mean he excludes them. And what we're going to do, we're kind of backing up. I'm really only preaching verse 24 today, yet I'm going to kind of tangle everything that Jesus has talked about. He's already talked about giving. He's already talked about praying. He's already talked about fasting. And notice, he doesn't say, don't do those things, just love me with your heart. No, what he's saying is do those things with all your heart. That's what he's getting after. And there's a way of doing these things. There's a way of giving. There's a way of praying. There's a way of fasting that you could maybe fulfill the stipulations of law, but your heart is far from me, and you will be building treasure on earth, and it will rot away. He's going after something far deeper. And he's, he, he gets at it in, in verse uh, 33 when he says, but seek first the kingdom. Not just first in chronological order, although it will be, but first in priority of all things. It takes priority over everything in your life. And all the things that you're worried about, they will fall into place. They will. So how's this work? How's this work? Well, as your pastor, as I've been meditating, got lots of good questions from last week, and I think in God's providence slowed us down, I'm able to come back at this a different way. This is my prayer for you, my prayer for us, my prayer for myself, my prayer for my family, is that Jesus' instruction throughout the Sermon on the Mount would whet our appetite to love God in the ways he describes. Because I think our initial response is, well, I could never do that, and nobody else could, so therefore why would I worry about it? That's not the attitude I want us to have. I want us to have the attitude, all right, Jesus, there's something that you say is more valuable than the things of this world, and my heart is so knit to the things of this world, could you show me a little bit more? Could you grip me? There seems, Jesus seems to be knowing about a greater treasure, a greater reward, a greater blessedness than maybe many of us have ever considered. And I just want you to consider it. And begin to pray, Lord, help me desire, whet my appetite for these things. Help me believe. Help me believe. And I would argue you'll be praying in his name and he will answer that prayer. I want us to have an appetite that loves God and that we'd have such a genuine and deep love for God that it would direct how we view and then how we use all our possessions. What Jesus is calling us to in verse 24 is to see ourselves completely under his lordship, that he is our master. And that would be clearly evident by the way we handle ourselves, how we view, how we spend our money, how we use our possessions. He wants us to see us under his lordship and as stewards, I would argue. 
stewards of the resources he's given us so that we will not live for ourselves in this world, but leverage those resources. We leverage those things that we have that he's entrusted us with for kingdom investment. And he says, you won't go wrong. So how does this work? How do we cultivate hearts that prioritize the kingdom like this? Well, last week, just by way of review, I think I got the points up there. This, this is what seeking first the kingdom looks like, according to Jesus, in 19 through 34. Number one, it looks like prioritizing heaven over earth, prioritizing generosity over greed, prioritizing God over money, prioritizing trust or faith over worry. Well, this morning, we're, not, we're still not getting past three, okay? So we are all sub-points under, uh, under point three, God over money. What does that look like? And I want to put some handlebars on this. I want to make it a little more tangible and, and even a tool by which not only would you see where your heart's still clinging to the things of this world, but also a means by which you can direct it to cling to the things of the world to come. And I think that's all here in Matthew chapter 6. And so we're going to back up and kind of look at these things through this lens of prioritizing God over money. And to do that, I'm going to ask us to consider three questions this morning. Three questions about how we have ordered our lives, okay? Three questions that I want you to, re to look at reflectively and say, is my life ordered in such a way that what Jesus talks about makes sense, that I'm able to do it. And here's the three questions. Number one, am I able to give generously? Number two, is my life ordered in such a way that I'm able to pray dependently? And number three, is my life ordered in such a way that I'm able to fast denyingly? Believe it or not, I did not make that word up. It does exist, okay? Denyingly. Can you answer yes to those questions in some measure? In some measure. And so we're going to look at this first question. Am I able, the way that I have prioritized my life, am I able to give to the kingdom work generously? Generously. Well, since we've entered into chapter 6, Jesus has turned his attention to the motivations of our heart, hasn't he? and living for the praises of our Heavenly Father rather than the praise of this world. However, as he's focused on the heart, he's, he expects that a right heart will actually express itself in some tangible outward expression. And he's already listed three. These aren't exhaustive. But he's, he's listed three virtues or uh, acts of piety we looked at several weeks ago that he assumes will characterize his follower's life. He just says, you can be doing these things for the wrong reasons. Well, I want to look back at them and do them for the right reasons. And the first expressions that he mentions is giving. Almsgiving is, is kind of the idea that he's giving. Giving to charity, giving to the poor. And in our context, this, this would apply giving at the offering. And we're going to look at that. And Why, why do we do that? If you're living to build up treasure on earth, you will not be in a position to give generously to the work of the kingdom. And generously, we're going to see it's like the widow's offering. She gave more than any of them. 
out of her poverty. So generously isn't like I'm setting some number here for you. So what do I mean? Let me just get real practical. Many prioritize this life and the accumulation of possessions in such a way that you are spending more than you take in. You live above and beyond your means. In other words, you you spend more than you take in. Your credit card debt is more than your bank account that you have in that line. One time I was speaking with a family, been working with them. Their life was under great stress, great trouble. They were discouraged. They were despairing. They were crying out, God, why are you not helping us? And as we began to just ask questions, begin to look at things, what, what began to be uncovered, at least at one level was the problem, was that they were living at a standard of living which was double the amount of what they were making. So they were living at, at one standard of living, but their paycheck said, you live at this standard of living. Well, it totally crippled them in every capacity. They couldn't even meet their own needs, let alone give to gospel work. And I venture to guess that some some of you are in that same boat. You've made decisions. You've stretched yourself. You've accumulated. You've sought to to enslave yourselves to creditors in such a way that, that now you are literally enslaved. Paying minimum payments to all your creditors, just barely making by. And whenever there comes a context of, of, of wanting to serve somebody else, give to the work, participate in the worship of offering, well, that's off the table because your money is enslaved somewhere else. It's impossible for you to think in kingdom terms. But a life ordered with prioritizing the kingdom is not set on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly supplies our every need. So how should this look? What what should you be aiming to do? And I'm just going to kind of give highlights today, principles. If you find yourself enslaved under debt, or you find yourself, I need more, I don't know where to go, I don't know how to do this, you need to sign up for the biblical stewardship class. 12 weeks unpacking these things. So how should this look and be reflected in how you and I manage our possessions? Well, I want to kind of take Scripture as a whole and bring some principles. First, we give the first fruits of our wealth. We give the first fruits of our wealth. This is just one principle that we find just repeated in in, uh, Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor him. Give him the first fruits. You'll see this repeated in Paul's, uh, this kind of first fruits language, the way you give, the way you view your possessions, and how he calls the churches that he is enlisting to, to partner with him in kingdom work to give. Give it the first of the week. Why the first of the week? Because in a real sense, in that world, you got, you got your money at the beginning, and you're going to have to You're trusting, I'm going to give to the Lord's work, and I'm trusting that he will provide for the rest of the week. We don't 
operate quite like that in our economy. Many of us don't because we live off of credit cards. We pay it at the end of the month. We, we do this, and that's where we sometimes get in trouble. Whoops, I spent more than I actually have this month. What does it mean to give the first fruits of your wealth? This means that you have a mindset, a determination, a prioritization that you're going to give God the best and the first fruits of your income. In other words, we're not giving him what's left over. Lord, I will, I will have all these things. I got my Netflix, my Prime, my Hulu, my DirecTV, all my cell phone data, all those things that are necessities in life, right? And I've got all those things taken care of. I've got my going out to eat budget, and I've got my once a week movie budget, and, and I've got my got to go on vacation. Everybody's got to go on vacation. And, and you know what? I've got my car payment. I've got all these things. Okay, Lord, I've got about negative $58 a month according to my budget. My budget. Of course, this, this language absolutely means nothing to you to give, to be bought in, to give all your possessions. Well, what does that look like? Scripture says, no, 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 no. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Give the first portion. And you already determined, I am investing in the kingdom, and then I am going to set my, my standard of living according to that. What is left over, that's what I will live on. That's, that's what it looks like to give the first fruits of your wealth. And so the obvious question is, well, what's that first fruits? What, what, what should I give? This leads us to the second principle. We're to give out of a generous heart toward God and others. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and as you're turning there, let me give you an idea of what's going on. Paul, in, in most of his letters, he's collecting an offering, um, particularly for the saints in Jerusalem who are undergoing extreme poverty, extreme persecution. And he's giving them, much like we do, if you've been around here long enough, we have different offerings. The Annie Armstrong offering, the Lottie Moon offering, the Antioch offering. We have things that we're collecting and that we're going to go, we're going to give and, and go to the, the ministry. And I want you to see what, what he says here. He's been talking about them giving and he just gets to the point in verse 6. And I want you to hear Jesus is going after the heart. Listen to Paul. The point is this concerning giving. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I still hear Bibles wrestling. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, or at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is Paul getting after? He's saying, determine in your heart what you're going to give. Set the first fruits, if you will. And he's already set a principle. Those of you who are stingy, well, you will reap nothing. You will reap to the courting of your, of your generosity, if you will. But those of you, if you will sow, you will give abundantly. And, and just think about agriculturally. Well, if you only throw a couple of seeds out there, what are you going to get? But if you're given the whole bag, well, then you, 
harvest. Now, what's the harvest? It's the heavenly reward. It's the, it's the eternal riches. It's, it's the, the, the praises of the Father. The things that will last forever, but in this world, moth and rust destroy. There, there's a determination. There's a setting aside. There is a, a, a deciding of, I am investing in the kingdom here. And this is coming out of my worship. It's my joy and my heart and my love. That's why Jesus is saying, the money won't be an issue if you love me. The investment won't be a, a, something I've got to sell you on if you love the kingdom. Because God loves a joyful, a cheerful giver. A heart filled with joy in the Lord and longing for the kingdom will give as much as they can. And so this means, third principle, we're going to give sacrificially. Sacrificially. We're going to stay in this area, but I want you to go just to chapter 8. And I want us to consider the Macedonians. This This is Philippi. This is what Pastor Gary was reading. And he goes on, look in verses 1 through 3 to start with, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, now by the way, I think the, let me back up here, Corinth is very much like our culture. They weren't a poor city, they were actually a living it up type of city. Uh, they, they have abundance, where some of these other smaller towns were more rural and there was more poverty, but he's writing to them and, and just think of He's writing to us in our culture. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Rule Indiana. Think about that. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Think of whoever you think of as just in poverty. And Paul says, I just want you to know that I've already visited some of these churches and out of their poverty they have given an abundance of wealth. Why? For they gave, notice here, according to their means, as I can testify. And then he goes on, he says, beyond their means of their own accord. They did it of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can you imagine this? We are begging you, Paul, Let us give you this gift. Are you sure, Paul? I can imagine this. You're you're giving a little bit beyond your means. You're you're stretching yourself here. Are you sure? Please, we are fine. We want to give to the kingdom work. Imagine that amount of money. I've been to Haiti. I've seen the offering plates there. We would, the amount of money we probably just gave would be well more than they would ever give in maybe three years' time. And we did it one Sunday. And I'm just throwing those numbers out. It might be more than that. But here's the point Paul's trying to say. Here are some people who are investing in the kingdom. They have nothing. And yet they, they're giving and they're begging. Can we partake in the kingdom investment? Verse 4, beggingly, begging us earnestly for favor to take part in the relief of the saints. Verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, here it is, the first fruits principle, first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, as he had started, so he should complete this among, the, uh, among you, this act of grace. In other words, I've sent Timothy, Titus here. He's asking you to do the same. Then look in verse 9. He goes to Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. Here's the irony. Corinthians, you're rich. You're more in the place of Christ in this sense. You have riches. And your Savior was willingly gave up his riches to make you rich in him. And so if you know that grace, let that grace impact how you use your riches to make people rich in Christ. Do you see the the analogy that he's getting at? And so considering the example of the Macedonians who gave out of their extreme poverty, Paul says they gave according to their means, and he goes on, actually they gave a little bit beyond their own means, but it was by their own accord. I wasn't some swindler trying to to take all their money. They were begging us, can we invest in this? Notice that's the difference between law and appealing to the heart. I'm I'm not trying to set law on you. I'm appealing to your heart, appealing to it, because I trust that if you long to invest in the kingdom, well, all those things will be added. All those things will be added. Paul says they stretched themselves. They searched to see what they could do without in order to give to the work of ministry. And we do this all the time. We just don't do it to the work of ministry. How many of you look at something, I want to get that, it's out of my range. Well, what can I give up? Well, I'll stop going, I won't get a latte every day. I'll just do that three days a week. And uh, maybe I'll cut out my movies. And we start cutting for where our treasure is. Right? We all do it. I'm not, me too. We sit there and we look at our money. We strategize. All right, how can I give up this so that I can buy that? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We already strategize with our money. But Jesus says strategize for the kingdom. Have you thought about doing without all those things that you just came up with and say, now maybe I can participate in the worship service and I will give to the kingdom work going on at Oak Park Baptist Church? Or, mm, I really want to increase that car payment so I can get that one and not the one that I actually need. Or that I can increase my package because, you know, the ACC network just came out, right? So I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And the SEC network, and it's football season. I got to increase my package, and I got to buy all the other things I don't want, but I need that. I need, I need this. So we find out where can I, I won't even eat. I'll just, I'll stop going out to eat so I can buy this, <laughs> Right? We laugh because we all do it, but Jesus is saying, are you investing in the kingdom or are you investing in this earth? Yeah, do that. Invest in the kingdom. All right, I'm going to have this be a five-part series if I don't get going. <laughs> I want you to just see, though, uh, verses 13 and 14. I've heard this. So what are we supposed to do? Just give up our whole houses and live on the streets? Just give it all up, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. 
Well, notice verses 13 and 14. Paul doesn't say that to them. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness, now look at this, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and that there may be fairness. Some of us don't like that type of language. That sounds like a Democrat, right? That's what we don't like. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is what he's saying. I'm asking you to meet their need. You're no in, you have no worries about poverty. And I don't expect you to somehow give all your clothes, all your possessions to them so that they can, you all can just switch places. That's not what he's... Well, then they would need to have to do the same. This would be this endless cycle. No, I'm just asking you, out of your abundance that you clearly have, can you not meet the needs of the kingdom work? And trust that God's going to... All these things will be added. God has blessed you in a certain way so that you may be an instrument of grace in the lives of others. Do you see yourself like that? That's why you have much. That's why you have much. And he says, in trust, that maybe when the tables are turned, the same heart that worked in you will work in them to serve you. And not worry, because he who gathered much had nothing left over. He's talking about the Exodus, when God rained down bread from heaven. Those who were greedy, what happened? It all rotted their teeth and rotted the worms, moth and rust destroy. Lord, no, I, I just, I have all I need. How can I use my excess to bless others? So you give sacrificially in that way. Well, that's, 10% may be extremely sacrificial to you. It may not be a, a, a drop in the bucket for you as well. Do you see why the principle, the percentage thing, Jesus doesn't go for that. That's too easy in some sense. That, that, that doesn't go after your heart. I mean, I, I, this is an unbeliever, of course, but you, you look at Bill Gates, billionaire. He could, do, he could literally every day just throw out 10% and just be fine, you know? And he gave billions, like to schools and all those type of things. It didn't, it didn't change. It didn't change his standard of living. It didn't change anything. There's a sense in which if he became a Christian... I mean, that would be just ridiculous. You've still got so much more that you could serve and use for the kingdom. Some of us are, are that way. 10% would be way too low. And so this is why you have to decide in your own heart, begin looking. What is, as I look at my budget, as I look at my finances, what is it that I am cashing in on? And where could I redirect these funds for the kingdom? And for some of you, you may be like the widow's offering. Put in two pennies. So us, most of us, it's that's nothing. Yet in that moment, she says, "I'm giving. I'm all in. I'm all in." Poverty really isn't our concern when we rise. Well, what, am I, what are we going to do? We're going to just give it all away and become poor? Poverty is not really an issue for most of us. It's about giving up excesses. And then we're going to give regularly. I just want you to go one more spot. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit longer series. So we've got Lord's Supper today. 1 Corinthians 
16. It's the same offering, it's just a little bit, it's obviously as before 2 Corinthians, but he's already written to them about this. In this uh, text, 2 Corinthians first, or 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it's one of the texts that we, where, why do we give weekly? Why do we have the wor- weekly worship element after the pastoral prayer? That's just where we put it, but we give weekly. Why, why weekly? And that's, that's a principle that we see here. I'll just start in verse 1 of chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. When? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Well, that sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? Store up treasure. Paul's just pulling all this out of of Jesus' words. Each of you every week is to set aside something and store it up Notice, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. He's saying there should be weekly, you are giving to the work of the ministry. He doesn't say what the, as you prosper. Do you look at it? Do you evaluate? This, is, this isn't just, oh, I did this seven years ago. No, you're always constantly considering, what is it that I have? And you begin to say, oh, this is actually more than me just putting in my offering on the offering plate. This considers my... Maybe I need to go. Maybe I do need to sell my house. And I need to go and give myself, and I'm going with them to serve those people. Or maybe it looks like I just need to give some of my time, my efforts. And you begin to look, actually, I've been entrusted far more than what my bank account balance is. I have skills, I have resources. And you begin, oh, this is far more than 10%. Jesus is asking for actually 100%. Do you see that? He's asking for 100%. We're just often just thinking about the cash value part. And so as we consider these things, we give out of the first fruits of our wealth. We're giving our best. We're, we're, we're setting aside at the very beginning. We're to give out of a generous heart. This is to be out of our worship, our love. I love you, Jesus. I love your kingdom. I am so thankful for the grace that has come to me and the people who sacrificed and gave so that this Bible might be translated and it may work its way through in the churches that have been populated and that conference that I went to, that camp that was put on. You just think about all the kingdom investment that came to just bring you to faith in Christ. Say, I want to be a part of that investment. And so this gospel may go around the world and come down to another generation. And you begin to say, I want to use my house like that person who used their house to bring me in. And I want to use my, my, my meals as a place to, to, to minister to others as they ministered to me. And you begin to look at people and say, you know, they, they live in such a way that they're, they're freed up to be involved in the kingdom work. Maybe I, I, have no, I have no freedom. I have no money. I have no time. I have no energy. Why? Well, maybe it's because we haven't sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe. My appeal to you is search your heart and ask if, where, where, where may you be holding back on these things? And so next week, we're going to consider those other two questions. It'll be really quick. Yeah, right. But anyway, they'll, they'll, you know, we'll, we'll work through them. But I want you to see that we just looked at the giving portion in prayer. If we're living for the things of this world, why would I pray? 
And I'm living for the world, things of this world. Why in the world would I ever fast? Why would I not eat when I can go get a Five Guys burger whenever I want? Well, we're going to answer those questions when we come back next week. Let me pray for us and we'll transition into the Lord's Supper. Dear Lord, I pray that you would maybe shaken us up just a little bit. You have supplied us well beyond our needs for most of us in this room. Um, we, we don't worry about what we're going to eat today after church. In fact, we will pick out of maybe a litany of places that we, we'd like to go and to feast. And, and Lord, we thank you that you've allowed us to be able to, to do that. But Lord, I pray that you would awaken us in some measure to where we may be more involved in the kingdom work and where maybe we have not prioritized your kingdom, but we've just loved saturating ourselves in the things of this world, having no thought of the world to come. Lord, may you use us as instruments of your grace to lead people to know you, that we would, out of our abundance, make them rich in Christ. Lord, that's our prayer, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.